Good morning to you all, church. It's such a great joy to be here uh, to share together this fourth Sunday in Advent. My name is Emmanuel Bakey, and I'm the curate here at Christ Church. This prophecy of Isaiah was given at a time when Judah was in a bad way. Internally, Judah was corrupt and disobedient. And externally, it was under threat of invasion. The judgment of God has turned a productive land into a desert. You'll see that in chapter 34. With no signs of hope at all, let alone any possibility of joy, Isaiah the prophet brings the message of hope in this chapter we've just been, that just, just been read. We see joy erupt from sorrow. And in the midst of pain, the promise that those in the desert will soon be glad is made. Someday soon, Isaiah says, you will see the glory of God. Let us pray. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, thank you for bringing us into your house of joy. Let your word minister grace to us in Christ's name. So we see that there are two parts to the promise of restoration, namely the land and the people. So we'll first consider the restoration of the land. And if you turn back again to that passage read to us, you, in verse 1 and 2, the desert and the parched land will be glad. The wilderness will rejoice and blossom like the crocus. It will burst into bloom. It will rejoice greatly and shout for joy. The glory of Lebanon will be given to it, the splendor of Carmel and Sharon. They will see the glory of the Lord, the splendor of our God. Isaiah prophesied that God will bring about beautiful restoration. The wilderness will rejoice and blossom. This promise was proved true in many ways and in some sense will yet be fulfilled. This promise was true in the immediate time when Judah was restored after the invasion of the Assyrians was averted. This promise is true in the longer term as modern-day Israel has turned the desert and parched land into productive farms and has truly made the wilderness blossom. This promise 
will be true in the ultimate fulfillment of this prophecy. When the Messiah reigns and believers are glorified at his second coming, of course. This is what Romans chapter 8 verse 21 refers to. That creation itself will be liberated from decay. How does this apply to us? In Advent, as we wait, we must not be like the generation who, when God entered humanity through Jesus, many of the people did not understand the significance of that moment. They missed the beauty of who had arrived in that manger. In our busyness, as we prepare for Christmas, we must not miss the reason for the season. Remember, it is all about Jesus. The second point is made that the people will be restored. And in fact, they were referred to as weak people. The weak people will be strengthened. If you look at verse 4 and 3, it says, Strengthen the feeble hands, steady the knees that give way. Say to those with fearful hearts, Be strong, do not fear. Your God will come. He will come with vengeance, with divine retribution. He will come to save you. It is God's will for his people to, be, to get strong and get going. It will be no time to have weak hands or feeble knees, but a time to therefore strengthen your feeble arms and weak knees. Hebrews 12, 12 refers, puts it that way. And in that particular verse, we get the idea that God is not only a disciplining parent, but also a demanding coach who pushes us to our limits and requires our lives to be disciplined. Although we may not feel strong enough to push on to victory, we will be able to accomplish it as we follow Christ and draw on his strength then we can use our growing strength to help those around us who are weak and struggling. In our present trials, we need to place our hope in the Lord to overcome our fearful hearts. Remember, when you are lost in the wilderness of life, Sometimes the best thing to do is stop and wait, even if waiting is the last thing you want to do. But that is what we do at Advent, isn't it? We wait. When we are lost and feel hopeless, sometimes we will do almost anything to fill the void and make something happen. But we are called to wait, even if it feels too much, like doing nothing. 
as we wait, our hearts are helped by the assured confidence that he will come and save us. The third point, the sick and the diseased are healed. God's salvation is the greatest miracle we can experience. But his ministry is also characterized by healing power. This is best illustrated by that answer that Jesus gave the disciples of, 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 of John the Baptist, who at that point was in prison, and he was discouraged and began to wonder whether Jesus was really the Messiah he had proclaimed him to be. When John's disciples brought this question to Jesus, the Lord replied them, say, go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame work, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor, Matthew eleven four to 5 And of course, the fourth point is made that abundance replaces lack. When God's salvation comes, what was dry and useless before becomes well-watered and fruitful. Streams in the desert, this kind of beautiful provision in the lives of his people was promised by Christ. He says, whoever believes in me As the scripture says, rivers of living water will flow from within them. By this he meant the spirit whom God, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. John chapter 7 verse 38 to 39. The word translated patched land actually means a mirage air reflection, a type of phenomenon frequently seen in the eastern deserts which is caused by the reflection of the hot rays of the sun. Now the prophet says, bringing this good news that what used to be an illusion will one day become a glorious reality. What joy fills us when the Holy Spirit produces living water in us. And of course, apart from, the, from his saving grace and the gift of the Holy Spirit given to us, Jesus also sets our feet on the highway of holiness. The highway of holiness is characterized 
by the following. One, it is made for God's people. Today, we take good roads for granted. But in the ancient world, a highway was an, was an amazing blessing for travel and for business. Isaiah announces that in the ministry of the Messiah, there will be a wonderful highway, a road known as the highway of holiness. In Hebrew, highway speaks of a road that is lifted above the ground. But listen to this description. The construction of this highway that we're talking about of holiness was the greatest engineering feat ever accomplished. This was what Charles H. Spurgeon, the 19th century English preacher, says about it. He's, and I quote, engineering has done much to tunnel mountains and build bridges, but the greatest triumph of engineering is that which made a way from sin to holiness, from death to life, from condemnation to perfection. Who could make a road over the mountains of our iniquities but Almighty God? None but the, love, the Lord of love would have wished it. None but the God of wisdom could have devised it. None but the God of power could have carried it out. End of quote. Something more about the highway is that it isn't for everybody. It is made for God's people. It is not meant for the unsaved sinner. It has a toll booth, but you can't travel on it by paying your way. You are only allowed on this way if you are cleansed by the blood of the Messiah. The second point about this highway is that it's safe. If you look at verse 9, it says, No lion will be there, nor any ravenous beast. They will not be found there. No lion will be there. As we stay on God's highway of holiness, we are protected from the attacks of the lion. Though we know that your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking for someone to devour, yet no lion will be found there on that road. The promise is sure that no lion will be found there. The third point is that only the redeemed only the redeemed will walk on the highway of holiness. That way of holiness leads us to where God dwells and reigns. And we will come there with singing because the king's man, redeemer, 
Jesus is the one who has rescued us. Hallelujah. We can know some everlasting joy now, but we aren't at our destination on that highway yet. But when we arrive there, God will wipe away every tear from our eyes. There shall be no more death. Oh yes, no sorrow, no crying. There will be no more pain. For the former things have passed away. Bless God. Using the imagery of this chapter, it is as if we come to God barren, dry, blind, deaf, weak, and crippled. Then the miraculous power of Jesus comes to change us, to heal us, and to provide for us. That isn't the end of God's work, though. He goes on to make this highway for us that the transformed man can walk on it. The highway will be helpful to the one who was barren, who was dry, who was dead, who was blind, deaf, and crippled. But when this highway is provided for the one who is healed and formed in Christ, the blessing is even more amazing. The challenge to you and to me, of course, at this time is this. Are you on that highway? Are you making progress on it? Are you enjoying the travel? Are you inviting others to join you? Let us pray. Thank you, Father, for Christmas. We thank you, Lord, for this time. You know each one of us by name. You know where we are in this journey. We just pray, Father, that today none of us here will leave without making, making peace with you. For you are the Prince of Peace. Thank you for coming into this dark world so that we can become yours. We bless your name, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.